God is doing some amazing things here in Elevate Man. And uh, I just wanted to share a little bit more about that thing. See you at the poll. Um, we're going to play a video in just a second, Oscar, if you can get that ready. Um, what you're going to see, guys, it's just amazing. You know, God, God has a vision for your school. God has a plan for your school. God wants to see the people in your school set free, saved, transformed, right? We believe that. And see what the poll is an opportunity for you guys to get involved and for you guys to take a stand in your own school and make a public declaration that I love Jesus. I am praying for this school. I am not letting this school be turned over by the devil. I'm going to fight for this school, right? And so, Oscar, if you can hit play on that video, we're going to see just for a moment what this whole thing is about. Be encouraged. Amen. Give it up for that awesome video. Powerful, powerful. I mean, just imagine, you're, that could be your school. That could be Shures. That could be Intrinsic. That could be Taft. Getting a bunch of people around just crying out for your school. People your age saying, Jesus, we want to see you manifest your glory and your power in the school. We want to see souls saved. We want to see violence end in my school. I want to see, you know, perversion leave. I want to see the gangs make peace and turn over their lives to Jesus, right? That can happen at your school. And see you at the poll is an opportunity for you guys to just make a public declaration and cry out to God for that to happen. Uh, in this moment, if I can have Jason actually come up, he's going to share a little bit about what God's doing in Shures throughout the month of September leading up to September 27th. I'm going to have different, I'm going to call upon some of you guys to come up, share a little testimony about what God's doing in your school. I'm going to have you guys pray that God would just touch all the schools in uh, Chicago land. Amen. So, Jason, why don't you share a little bit? about sure is what God's been doing there so far, and then close us out in prayer, um, just that God would move. All right, so um, what God has been doing in sure is that's kind of a big question, but like, I don't know if who, who in here saw my live stream with Joe B on the Elevate um, Facebook page, but a whole, recap of, a, a whole recap of that, which is basically that, you know, evangelism in, in its entirety makes friendships, it makes like it, it opens up people to God, and then, like, it just expands everything and, like, things that you would never imagine. I would never imagine as, like, 
not even like four months ago before I got saved, you know? Um, it's insane. So evangelism, it, it might seem really, really whack at first if y'all haven't tried it before, but it sounds like I'm talking about a drug. Um, <laughs> but I have, I, I, don't, I have no idea how to say this, but when you go out and evangelize and just start talking to people like straight up, like we're going to talk about the gospel, the, the spirit starts leading you like crazy. And you don't have to worry about it, man. It's just, just wow. Like today I've, I've talked to two guys I've always seen like throughout my time at Shures. And like today I talked to like um, two other people who I've seen like my entire time in the band class. So, yeah, it's open, it opens up friendships. I didn't get any uh, them uh, them details, but, yeah, it's awesome. All right, now, see, I'm nervous right now, but let the spirit lead me. All right, bow your heads. Father God, I'd like to thank you here for gathering us today and I pray that you'd lead us further and further into evangelizing and spreading your your gospel Jesus I'm so happy that I've been able to preach today and I want that joy in your name Jesus to spread throughout every school and everyone here in Elevate and I wanted to expand more and more God so that you can save you can save thousands through us God that's what I want I I'm praying that so many people would get saved like in the book of Acts and so many other great things that I've seen in this world with you, God. I just can't imagine like the whole world not getting saved without experiencing your joy, God. I've seen so many people saying they don't believe in God for various other reasons, but they've never heard the gospel. That's what I want to share with them, God. I want to share the true gospel and who Jesus Christ was. And I want every single youth here to lead just evangelize to everyone else about what the gospel really is, about who Jesus Christ was, and that everyone can experience the joy, that all creation has been blessed, and that's what we need, God. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Thank you, Jason. Woo. Whoever I'm going to call on, you better be ready next week. Ooh, ooh, amen. See you. All right. So if we can all open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 36, but we're going to be looking at the whole chapter throughout tonight. So Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. The context here is basically the last moments of Jesus' life before he went on to the cross to be crucified. Um, he didn't just wake up one day and then, bam, he got crucified and that was it and that, that was the end of the story. There were actual hours that passed. There was an actual 24-hour day. The sun rose and then it went down and Jesus had to wait and brace himself for this event called the crucifixion, right? They were actually, this was an actual time. He had actual days that went before um, this time where he was going to be crucified, right? And so verse 36, I'm going to start there. Like I said, I'm going to explain a little bit um, what happened before up to that point. So if we can all read it, verse 36, it says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. He said to them, Sit here while I go over there. And pray. Now, what did Jesus do when he went away? When he went over there, right? He went over there to what? To pray, right? Amen. So he said, Wait here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. He began to be sad and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sad 
I feel close to death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Now, does Jesus say that he is extremely happy? Does the verse say that Jesus is extremely excited? No. In another translation, it says that Jesus was extremely grieved. Another translation says that he was in anguish. Another translation says that Jesus was so full of sorrow, he felt like he was going to die just because of the sorrow that was overwhelming him in that moment. So Jesus was bracing himself for what was about to happen, right? The cross, the crucifixion, he was about to be beaten. He was about to be forsaken by all of his disciples. He was going to get whipped 39 times, one of the most gruesome, torturous ways a person can die. Jesus was about to go through this. And he wasn't happy about it. He wasn't smiling. He wasn't so joyful. Look at me. I'm so happy. I'm going to die. He wasn't a psychopath that he just wanted people to like beat him up. No. It says he was very sad. He was troubled. Right? Jesus, fully God, fully man, he was troubled at this moment. And then he tells his disciples, he looks to Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he says, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm very sad right now. My soul is very sad. It's grieved. I feel close to death right now. Then he says, stay here and keep watch with me. Verse 39, a little, then he went a little farther away from Peter and, and the two sons of Zebedee. And it says, then he fell with his face to the ground. Imagine picturing Jesus, right? This is, this is the son of God we're talking about. Moments before his death and his crucifixion, he, he goes just a little bit further on. Uh, than Peter and the, the two others, and he falls to his face, face to the ground, and he prays, and he's asking the Father, and he's talking to the Lord. He says, Father, if it is possible, take this cup of suffering away from me. If it is possible, this is the wish of Jesus in this moment. He says, Father, if it is possible, would you please take this cup of suffering away from me? This is Jesus speaking, right? And I'm going to go on a little bit later to what Jesus says after that. But I want us to get that in our mindset right now. Jesus is troubled. He's distressed. I don't believe he was overwhelmed by anxiety. I don't think he was doubting in this moment. I don't think he was depressed. I don't think he was even discouraged. But just as a human being, he was feeling the emotions and the adrenaline and the pressure of what was about to happen. And it didn't feel so good to his fleshly, earthly body. And he felt troubled in his heart. And his soul was very sad, uh, according to the NIV translation here. And again, he felt so full of sorrow that he felt like he was going to die in the garden because he had so much pressure on top of him in this moment. Now, what happened the moments before he was in the garden? We can go to verse 1 of chapter 26. Again, there were moments, right? Jesus was a real person, lived 2,000 years ago. He was about to die, and he had that moment before. He had those days leading up to his death. I don't know if you guys ever took a really serious test, or you took part in a championship game, or something very important, and you had to prepare for it, and, you know, you spent, like, months just getting yourself ready for this event or this test or whatever it may be. And it's like those, that last week, 
those last two days, that, that last day, you know, the, the day before, the night before you take that test, the night before you have that championship game, you're just under all this pressure and you're excited and you're nervous and you're scared and all these different emotions are coming across you, right? And you kind of, everything is going through slow motion, but yet at the same time, you, you feel the minutes ticking away, you know what I mean? And, and sometimes for me, whenever I have a big event that's happening the day after, I usually can't sleep that night because I'm so nervous and I'm so just whatever. And then, of course, I tell myself I'm going to fall asleep. I drink a nice big cup of milk and I'm like, okay, I'm going to sleep. I'm going to sleep. And I close my eyes and then that's all I can do. I just lay there for like another five, six hours with my eyes closed. And then I'm like, you know what, forget it. Let me just get up and do some random stuff, right? Um, so we all have had those moments of... You know, just, just those la- that, that, that moment right before something big happens, you know what I mean? And it, and it, and it affects us, and it does something to us. It, it, you know, it, it, we, we, we feel the pressure of what's about to happen that next day or two days or in another week. You have to take the ACT, and it's going to be on. And if you mess this up, you mess your whole life up, right? So stuff like that, that week before the big event. So verse 1. Jesus finished saying all these things. Then he said to his disciples, as you know, the Passover feast is in two days. How many days? Two days. He says, disciples, as you know, the Passover is in two days, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Jesus is talking about himself. He's referring to himself as the Son of Man because that's who he was. He was the Son of Man. That was another title Jesus had. He's telling his disciples, he's saying, hey, guys, there's two more days left before I am going to be handed over to be crucified. Two more days left, guys. Two more days, disciples. Hey, you who have been following me, you have been committed. You've been seeing me do all these miracles. You've been at my side, uh, you know, throughout the last three years. Guys, in two more days, I'm going to be handed over to be crucified, right? And Jesus felt this important enough to mention it to his disciples. As a matter of fact, the chapters before this, Jesus tried to, tried to drop hints to his disciples multiple times that he was about to die, that time was running out, that his death was drawing near. And he kept trying to get his disciples on the same page, like, hey, guys, I know you're excited. I know you're seeing all these miracles, but I'm about to die. My life is almost over here. I'm about to be handed over to be crucified. I'm about to go through this extreme, torturous death. This is about to happen, disciples, and I want you to be on the same wavelength. Unfortunately, the disciples weren't that bright, and they didn't get it, despite all the different times that Jesus tried to make them understand. So anyway, moving on, it says, The Son of Man will be handed over to be nailed to a cross or to be crucified. Verse 3, Then the chief priests met with the elders of the people. They met in the palace of Caiaphas, the high priest. They made plans to arrest Jesus secretly. They wanted to kill him. Let's see. Thank you. Go back to, uh, yeah, verse 4. So I'll read it from here because it's like a different translation. So it says, Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest. Verse 4. Verse 4. Or I could just read it from this book. Amen. Okay, so... In this translation, because again, it words it a little bit differently, it says they made plans to arrest Jesus secretly. So while Jesus is with his disciples in that very moment, Jesus is trying to let his disciples on. He's trying to let them know, hey guys, I'm about to die. This is about to happen. And while Jesus is doing this, while he's talking to his disciples over here, the high priests, these rulers, these officials of the religious group of the Israelites, 
They're over here conspiring with one another to what? To pl- they, they made plans to arrest Jesus in secret. They were making plans and conspiring to arrest Jesus and secretly kill him without anybody knowing. So this is what, what was going on in those last two days. Because remember, Jesus said, two more days and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. So in these last two days of Jesus' life on earth, these priests are getting together. They're starting to form a plan. They're saying, hey, guys, how can we kill Jesus? How can we destroy him? How can we get rid of him? We don't like him. We don't like what he's teaching. He's annoying now. People are starting to believe him. We need to end this. They say in verse 5, but not during the festival or else there'll be a riot and people will just go crazy and they'll, they'll, they'll say, why did you have to kill Jesus? We got to do it in secret. So this is all going on while Jesus is with his disciples. Now, Jesus being fully God, do you think he probably knew what the high priests were talking about in that moment? Yes, because God knows everything. He's everywhere at, at, at the same time. So as Jesus is talking to his disciples, imagine being Jesus. You're telling your disciples you have two more days to live, and at the same time, you're like, man, I think right now these, these, these Pharisees are planning to kill me. Man, man, this is, this is crazy. I only have two more days left. My disciples aren't really understanding and getting that I'm going to die soon. Man, they're, they're already making plans to arrest me and, and kill me and destroy me. This is, this, is what, this is what Jesus was going through, right? And so moving on, verse 6, it moves on to the next kind of, the next scene of those last two days, right? So Jesus was with his disciples. The Pharisees were conspiring to kill Jesus. All that was happening. And then in verse 6, Jesus was in Bethany. He was in the home of Simon who had a skin disease. A woman came to Jesus. Hold on, wait, yes. A woman came to Jesus, there we go, okay. A woman came to Jesus, to came, came to him with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume. So Jesus is at this place in Bethany. He's in the home of Simon the leper. And this woman just comes out of nowhere, comes to him with a alabaster jar, a big jar of very expensive perfume. Now this is a whole nother sermon in and of itself because of what she does. It's so amazing, it's so deep, it's so mind-blowing. But just for the time's sake, we're just going to kind of go through it a little bit quickly here. If you can uh, go to the next slide. She has this very expensive jar of perfume. And what does she do with it? She breaks it at Jesus' feet. She says she's poured it on his head as he was reclining at the table. Jesus is sitting at the table with his disciples. And this woman pours everything out upon Jesus' head and anoints him. And just pours it all out. This very expensive, very valuable ointment. She just wastes it all at Jesus' feet. She pours it all over Jesus. She just dunks him in this oil, right? Now, when the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Another word for indignant is they were annoyed. They were offended. They were mad. Wait a minute. Where did this woman come from? She just bursted in out of nowhere. Why is she pouring oil on Jesus? None of this makes sense. It says, why this waste, they asked themselves. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. So these disciples are thinking to themselves, this woman is crazy. She's wasting this oil and this perfume on Jesus. What is she possibly thinking? Next verse. However, Jesus had a different response. He wasn't indignant and he wasn't offended. As a matter of fact, aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you even bothering this woman? Why are you mad at her? says, she has done a beautiful thing to me. And he's about to explain what that is. In verse 11, it says, the poor you will always have with you. 
You're complaining that she's wasting this money on me and, you know, we could have used that money for the poor. But you're always going to have the poor with you. But you will not always have me. I want everybody to catch that just for a quick moment. The disciples are saying, guys, you know, she's, she's wasting this money on Jesus. We could have used it for the poor. Jesus steps in. He's like, guys, you won't have me. You're talking about the poor. The poor will always be around you. But I'm going to die soon. I'm going to be leaving you soon. You won't have me with you. Don't you understand? Don't you get it? My time is running out, and you won't always have me. And in verse 12, it says, but when she poured this perfume on my body, next slide, she did it to prepare me for my burial. Now, what does that signify? This woman pouring this upon Jesus to prepare Jesus for his burial. What does that mean? How was she different than the rest of the disciples? You see, while the disciples were still thinking about other stuff and they were on some other wavelength, they weren't on the same page as Jesus. This woman, out of all the other stuff that was going on, she got it. She understood Jesus is about to die. Oh, my goodness. He's about to be crucified. He's about to be tortured. He's about to go through the most horrific experience in his life. Let me do something about it. Let me show him that I know what he's talking about. Let me show him that I'm on the same page. Jesus, I see you're about to die. I hear the words that you're speaking. I, 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 I'm listening to these different hits you're dropping. And man, Jesus, you, you really are about to be crucified. Let me anoint you and prepare you for your burial. Let me assist you. And this woman, in doing so, touched Jesus so deeply. Because out of all the disciples that were there, the 12 disciples, none of them understood what Jesus was talking about about his death, about this big event that was about to happen. They were clueless, yet this random woman, I believe she was Mary, so she was definitely affiliated with Jesus and the rest of the disciples, but this woman outside of the committed 12 disciples, she gets it. She understands. Jesus is about to die, and she decides to do something about it. She prepares Jesus for his burial. And then verse 13, truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So that's that scene right there. The moments again ticking by, minutes ticking by, hours going by, waiting for the moment where Jesus is handed over to be crucified. And so then, in verse 14, it says, one of the disciples, one of the 12 disciples went to the chief priests. One of the 12 disciples, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, verse 15, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you, right? Now, I want you guys to understand, it wasn't a criminal that betrayed Jesus. It wasn't a murderer that betrayed Jesus. It wasn't some crazy, insane, you know, just nut job that just betrayed Jesus and tried to kill him off or whatever. The person, it was a disciple who betrayed Jesus. It was a disciple who betrayed Jesus and handed Jesus over to his death. It was a disciple. It wasn't a murderer. It wasn't a bad person, an evil person, a wicked person. It was a disciple. The person who was with Jesus for those last three years was the same person who handed Jesus over to be crucified. It was a disciple. It was one of the twelve. How do you think that made Jesus feel? Jesus knew that this was happening. He was God. And he knew that Judas was going to betray him. And Jesus knew that Judas was already making these plans to hand him over. 
a disciple, a close friend, a part of the 12. It wasn't some you know, random person off the street. A committed disciple chose to hand over Jesus to be crucified for his death. How do you think Jesus felt knowing that one of the 12, one of his own, was the one who was betraying him? How do you think Jesus felt? I mean, just, 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 just put yourselves in Jesus' shoes for a second, guys, okay? Put yourself in Jesus' shoes. The closest, say you have 10 or 5, okay, maybe you guys, you know, can play, you, say three close friends, okay? Three close friends. I'll make it easy. Two friends, okay? Say you have two really, really close friends, and you guys have been hanging out for three years. You've been taking classes together. You've gone through thick and thin together. You know, you did all this crazy stuff together. You have so many awesome memories. And imagine one of the two, in, 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 in essence, yeah, betrays you, hands you over to some crazy convoluted MS-13 gang for you to be tortured and chopped up into a million pieces, okay? What if one of your closest friends chooses to betray you in exchange for a couple shekels, a, a, some chump change, right? This is what's happening to Jesus. One of his closest, the 12, one of the disciples handed Jesus over to be crucified. Now are we starting to see why he was a little troubled and distressed and sad in the garden? But we're getting there. There's, there's more. <laughs> verse 17. Well, actually verse 16, it's important to note this. Verse 16, it says, from then on, Judas watched for the right time to hand Jesus over to him. And this translation says, from then on, Jesus, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. I don't know if you guys have ever had somebody always at your, your throat trying to, like, catch you in something, and they're always, like, trying to point something out. Oh, look, you know, I got you, or whatever, right? Am I the only one who's experienced that? Somebody who's like, yeah, yeah, okay, come on, come on. If you've experienced somebody who's always been at you trying to tear you down, can you raise your hand? Just so, you know, just so I, I know I'm not alone in this. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Amen, right? So Judas, right, was Judas looking for an opportunity to help Jesus out? Was Judas looking for an opportunity was Judas watching Jesus, looking for an opportunity to give him some food, take him out to eat, hang out with Jesus? What was he looking for an opportunity? What was he watching continually, endlessly? What was he at Jesus' feet nonstop? He was looking for an opportunity to kill Jesus. A disciple, one of the 12, and Jesus knew about it. And Jesus was fully aware of what was happening. All the while, thinking and wrestling and coming to terms with the idea of, about what he's about to face in the next two days. And just another two days, him being crucified, him being murdered, him being, you know, put on the cross, all that stuff. And in those two days, now one of his own, one of the 12, chooses to betray Jesus and is looking for an opportunity nonstop at Jesus' throat, continually trying to find something to kill him and to hand him over, right? This is what Jesus was dealing with in those last two days. Now, verse 17, long story short, I'm going to summarize it here up to a few of the verses down, maybe to 25. Um, Jesus then, because it was Passover, Passover was a Jewish uh, holiday that the Israelites celebrated. It was a feast. They got together. They would eat, all that good stuff. And this is where Jesus uh, sat down with his disciples and had the, the last supper, as they call it, right? Before he died, he had one last meal 
before he was about to be sent off to be crucified, right? Starting in verse, let's see. Starting in verse, here we go. Starting in verse 21. Actually, verse 20. Verse 20. Verse 20. Okay. It says, when evening came, Jesus was at the table with his 12 disciples. Verse 21. Verse 20. <laughs> verse 20. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table. Just imagine, okay, sun was up, clouds, nice weather, or maybe not. It was hot. I don't know, maybe. But the sun was up earlier in the day, right? And now it's evening. Now the hours are continually passing by, and Jesus can't do anything to stop it. He can't stop time. I mean, he could have. He was God. He could have if he wanted to. But obviously, he was fully man as well, and he was submitting himself to the constraints. And so time is ticking. Now it's evening. Now it's nighttime. Instead of it being two days, now it's maybe a day and a half. And already he's losing that time that he once had. Evening comes, and Jesus was reclining at the table with the 12. And while they were eating, Jesus says to them, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. Hello, somebody. Hello, yes. Jesus was sitting there with his 12 disciples, and what do you think Jesus is thinking about? He's looking at his, he's looking at his 12 disciples. He's probably looking at Judas, and he's like, you know what, guys? I have a day and a half left to live on this earth. I'm about to die. I'm about to be crucified, and my goodness, one of you is at this table right now. While they were eating, he said, truly, one of you will betray me. Now, this is the 12 we're talking about. This is the 12 committed disciples. They're thinking to themselves, what is he talking about? We're all committed to you, Jesus. We'll never betray you. We'll never leave you. We're, we're committed followers, Lord. We'll never, ever, ever leave you or forsake you. We love you, Lord. We're, we're committed to you till, 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 till death or whatever. And then in verse 22, it's, it says, they became very sad and began to say to him one, one after the other, surely you don't mean me, Jesus. I'm not going to betray you, am I? Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go, just as written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Verse 25, yes, yes, Jesus got really, he got really real right there. Then verse 25, it says, then Judas, the one who would actually betray Jesus, <laughs> look at what he says. He turns to Jesus and he's like, uh, Jesus, excuse me, um, you, you, surely you don't mean me, Rabbi, right? Now, this is, I, mean, I don't know if Judas is like not getting it, like he's talking to God and like God knows stuff. And like Jesus knew that he was already previously talking to the high priests, that he was going to give Jesus over for some pieces of silver, some chump chains, right? He looks at Jesus, and he has the nerve to look at him in the eye and say, Lord, sh surely you don't mean me. I'm not going to betray you, right? Right, Jesus? Do you, do you know something that I don't know? I mean, I'm not going to betray you. I might, like, you don't know about this, do you? Jesus answered, you've said so. You have said so. Jesus looked back right back at his own disciple, one of the 12, and he says, look, you, you've said it yourself. Jesus knew what was going on, guys. He was thinking about it. He was troubled by it already. It was already, it was already getting, you know what I mean? He, he, was, he was coming to terms. He had to wrestle with this. One of my own is, is going to betray me. He just lets it out at the table. They're all probably fellowshipping, talking about, I don't know, the Sox game or something. And then all of a sudden, Jesus just breaks out and says, guys, one of you will betray me. 
This is Jesus that did it. He just let it out, and he's, and he's like, you know, then Judas does this whole thing. Jesus says, look, it's you. You've said it yourself. Verse 26, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples, saying, take and eat. This is my body. And a bit further down, he does the same with the, the cup of wine. He says, drink this. This is my blood. This is communion that Jesus does. He breaks bread with the disciples. They have communion at this point. Again, signifying his death, signifying what he's about to go through. He says, this is my body. I'm about to die. My body is about to be crushed and destroyed, and my blood is about to spill out. This, do, do this in remembrance of me. Still, the disciples didn't quite get that Jesus was talking about his death. The disciples were, were hard-headed. They didn't get it, man. They did not get it. Jesus is continually dropping hints one after the other. This is my body broken for you. This is my cup. Drink. This is my blood. This is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for, out for, for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is trying to let them know I'm about to die. I'm about to go through this. He wants them involved. He wants them to understand what he's about to go through. He wants them to understand what he's feeling. He wants somebody to be able to relate to and, and, and agree with and say, yeah, Jesus, you know what? That, that's intense. You're about to go with, through that. But his disciples aren't getting it. His disciples aren't receiving it. And they keep blocking it out of their minds. We go forward down to verse 30. Verse, verse 30, it says that, Well, in here, it says in verse 30, it says, Then they sang a hymn, and they went then to the Mount of Olives. Verse 30, Oscar. It says they went to the Mount of Olives, they sang a song, they closed out that time of eating, and they moved on, right? Again, time is ticking. Maybe that, that dinner was about three hours, four hours. It's no longer two days anymore like it was in verse 1. Now it's closer and closer and closer to that moment that Jesus is about to be crucified, right? We all know what Jesus went through, right? The time is ticking now. He just had his last meal. He can't get that back. Jesus can't, like, rewind time and just stay there in that last supper table. He, he just lost that moment. He lost the, the last day that passed. He lost a few hours that just went by. Time is slipping through his hands. And in verse 31, it says, Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account for me. Now, Jesus didn't have to tell them this. But remember, Jesus is so overwhelmed by what is about to happen to him, he tells him straight up, he says, guys, this very night, all of you will fall away from me. All of you will desert me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Next verse. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Now Peter says something kind of funny to Jesus in this moment here. Peter thinking that he's all that, that he's a super saint, that he is one of the most committed, unable to fall, unable to, you know, betray Jesus. He, Peter just knows his identity in Christ. He, he knows that he's, he's, he searched his heart. He's like, yes, God, there's nothing going to hold me back. I'm, I'm going to be with you for the rest of eternity, Jesus. I'm never going to leave you. And Peter replied to Jesus. He says, even if all fall away, Lord... Even if everybody deserts you, this is Peter talking, even if all fall away on account of you, Jesus, I'll never, I'll never fall away from you. This is Peter talking. He says, Lord, I'm never going to fall away from you with a big smile on his face. He's excited. He's like, Lord, I'm, I'm going to be with, let's do this, man. Whatever you're talking about, man, yeah, yeah, I'm in. 
Let's do this till the end. But then Jesus looks back at, at Peter. In verse 34, he says, Peter, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, Peter, even you, you're going to disown me three times. Peter, I know you're excited. I know you're happy. I know you think you're, you're probably going to be with me forever, but now, Peter, you're going to fall away too. You're going to desert me. Before the rooster even crows, you're going to already deny me three separate times. On three separate occasions, you're going to deny that you even knew me. And Peter declared back to Jesus, he's like, no, Jesus, you don't understand. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Peter is convinced he's never going to disown Jesus. And all the other disciples said the exact same thing. Now again, putting yourself back in Jesus' shoes. Jesus is hearing all of this. He's hearing Peter's, Peter's, you know, maybe Peter's trying to encourage Jesus or something. I don't know what Peter's trying to do there. But Jesus is hearing what Peter's saying. He's hearing what the other disciples are saying. But at the same time, Jesus knows, no, in, in just a few more hours, all of you are going to desert me. In just a few more hours, all of you are going to betray me. As a matter of fact, Peter, no, I, I know, I already, I already know what's going to happen. Peter, you're going to deny me. Jesus knows this. And how do you think that's making him feel? How do you think, what are his emotions at this point, knowing that every one of his disciples will desert him? Again, does Jesus, do you think Jesus is happy that 12 of his own disciples that have been with him for the last three years, do you think he's happy that they're going to all leave and forsake him? Do you think he's happy about that? No, exactly. They're not going to, Jesus isn't happy about that. He's sad. As a matter of fact, he's very sad. He's in anguish. He's distressed. He's troubled because he knows everyone will forsake me and leave me. And one of my own is going to hand me over to be crucified. This is what's going on through Jesus' mind, yet even his own 12, they still don't understand. They don't know. They don't have a clue what Jesus is talking about. They think they do, and they try and make it better, but it's clearly, it just, it's, it's, it's only making it worse. I don't know if you guys have had that moment where it's like, you know, you have a friend, and like they're crying or whatever, and you try and make it better. Oh, you know what? Man, you didn't even need that person. And then they're like, ah! You know, and then they're like even more mad, you know? It's like you're trying to help them, but it's actually making it worse, so you should just be quiet, Right? This is the disciples. They're so convinced they got this. They're trying to help Jesus out. And in essence, they're making it worse because they have no clue what's about to happen. But Jesus does. Verse 36, then Jesus went to his place. Jesus went to a place. Now, this is where we came back at the beginning. This is where we found ourselves. This is the opening passage. Jesus then, that night, took the 12 to a place called Gethsemane. Now, Gethsemane just was curious what exactly what that was. Maybe it had some significance. It's an, it's, Gethsemane was an olive, olive plant. It was an olive plant, um, not plant like plant plant, but like a, kind of like an olive, olive garden. They collected olives there. They you know, did all that stuff. They harvested them. And uh, specifically in Gethsemane, what they would do, they would take all the olives and they'd crush them. And they, you know, they, they, they turned it into olive juice, olive oil, right? In order to get olive oil, you need to crush it. You need to push it down. You need to squeeze it, you know, put, put, push all the juice out, right? So this, this, I don't know. It's just it's kind of interesting. Side note, right? This is what Gethsemane was. It was an olive garden, so to speak. And uh, Jesus chooses that to be his place where he goes away to be with God. And he takes his disciples with him. And then it says, again, like we read at the beginning, he says to his disciples, sit here while I go over there to pray. Now, here's what I want us to understand, guys. I hope you've been listening. 
After all of this turmoil, after all of these troubling events, after all of the anxiety, after all the anguish, after all the things that have been going on, Jesus, exactly knowing what Judas is doing, Judas was probably getting the troops together as they were walking to, to Gethsemane. Jesus knew it was going to happen. Jesus knew and was well aware of what was going to go down, that Peter would deny him, all these, things, all these different things. He was distressed. He was not happy. He was not giddy. He was not leaping around and skipping in flowers. He was sad. He was in anguish. His soul was so full of grief, he thought he was going to die before the crucifixion even happened because he was so full of sorrow knowing that his own 12 were going to desert him, forsake him, and run off. This is Jesus' state. And what does he choose to do in the middle of all his turmoil? What does Jesus choose to do in the middle of all the anxiety and all the pressure and all the turmoil and, and knowing that all the things that are going to happen, what does he choose to do? He chooses to go and pray. He chooses to go and pray. This is what Jesus chose to do out of all the things he could have done. He didn't feel like praying. He didn't feel like praying. He felt, he felt all these negative emotions. He felt the pressure, and he was about to die, and he was about to be crucified. But he said, no, I got to pray. I got to go to the Father. I need strength. God, right, he chose to pray. And in verse 37, then he takes Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Now again, the writer of Matthew, he lets us into what Jesus was feeling. If you didn't know, if you couldn't get the hint, in this part of the, the, the scripture, the writer makes it known clearly, yes, Jesus was sorrowful. Jesus was troubled. He was not happy. He was not skipping through the fields. He was troubled. And he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Next, next slide. And he tells them, stay here. Keep watch with me. He says, keep watch with me, right? Everybody say with with me. He wanted his disciples because they were the all, they, they, they were all Jesus had at this point. All he had was the 11 disciples. He already lost one. He had the, the, the rest of the 11. He just wanted them to kind of bear in this moment with him. In his last moments being on earth, about to die, he just wanted somebody to be around with that understood and knew what was going on. And he says, please just keep watch with me. In these last hours that I'm about to die, in these last hours of my life that are slipping through my hands, please just keep watch with me. And then verse 39, he goes a little bit further out and he fell to his face. Jesus falls flat on his face. This is the King of kings, Lord of lords, Jesus, the Son of God. Fully God, fully man. He falls on his face. And he prays. And he says, Father... If it is possible, please may this cup be taken away from me. That's not a textbook answer to tell the Father. But this is what Jesus was feeling. He says, Father, if it is possible, what? He says, if it's possible, please may this cup be taken away from me. Jesus clearly states out of this response, he knows what's about to happen, and he's not liking it. He's scared. He's, he's a little nervous. He knows that he's about to die, and he's going to be beaten, and he's going to be bruised, and he's going to have the crown of thorns, and he's like, God, please, if there's another way, please, Lord. If it's possible, just, 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 just for all this to pass away, oh, God, please, if it's possible. But 
One key phrase that he says. One key phrase that he says that gets him through this. That gets him through this scenario. One key phrase that Jesus says after this is what got him to the cross. See, Jesus couldn't have gotten to the cross. Jesus couldn't have went through the crucifixion if he didn't say these last words right here. It says, yet not as I will, but as you will. Not my will, Father, but your will be done in my life. I don't care how I feel. I don't care what I'm going through. I don't care that I'm about to die and be whipped 39 times and have a crown of thorns. Oscar, if you can put up the picture of Jesus really quick. I don't care all the things that I'm going to do. It's going to be hard. It's going to be intense. I'm feeling the anguish. I'm feeling the pressure. It's not going to be easy. And Lord, by the way, if it's possible, please make some other way available to me that I don't have to go through this. But at the end of the day, Father, not my will. Not what I want. Not my will, Lord, but what you will. But what you want in my life. Father, not my will, but your will be done. Father, not my will, but your will be done. Out of all the things Jesus could have told the Father, he chose to say this. He chose to pray. He chose to fall on his face and say, God, not my will but your will be done. And you see, that was the prayer. That was the prayer. Those were the words that got him through the crucifixion, that got him through the cross. Because every time he got beaten, every time he got slapped in the face, every time he got kicked in, in, in the stomach, every time he got hair ripped out of his body, every time that happened, guys, you know what he was saying? He was saying the whole time, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Do we understand? Jesus was not happy when he was getting beaten. Man, if I had a whip, I would whip something right now. Guys, you've got to understand this. When he was getting beaten and bruised and blood was dripping down and he had the crown of thorns on his head, do you think he was happy? Do you think he was just excited and jumping around? Yay, I get to get nails driven into my hands. Yay, I get to be suffocated to death on a cross. And hang here naked. Yay, this is so fun. No, Jesus wasn't feeling any of that. He was in anguish. He was grieved. He was sorrowful. On top of that, all of his disciples deserted him. All of his disciples left him. But the whole time he was saying, Father, not my will, but your will be done. The whole time. He gets whipped once. Father, not my will, but your will be done. Father, not my will, but your will be done. Father, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus kept saying this. That's what he went through. And what was able to get him through that was not his will, but the Father's will being done in his life. And he submitted himself to the Father's will. It says in Philippians that he became obedient unto death. Guys, how do we go through the different trials of our lives when everything is crushing and falling down around us, when our families are being separated, when when our friends are getting shot dead in the streets, when, 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 when pressure is being mounted on all these different sides and people are mocking us and making fun of us for, for, for us coming to church and coming to Elevate and wanting to get saved and wanting to believe in Jesus, when all these different things are happening and going on, you know what you need to do? You need to fall on your face. You need to pray, and you need to say, God, I don't care how I feel right now. Your will, 
be done in my life and not my own. Because let me tell you what, when you pray that prayer, you'll be able to go through even the cross. As a matter of fact, that's what the Bible tells us to, to do anyway. That's what the Bible tells us to pick up anyway. It tells us to crucify our flesh. It tells us to pick up our cross on the daily. How do we do that? By submitting ourselves to the Father and saying, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Well, what if I had a bad day? What if I just lost one of my best friends? What if my ex broke up with me? What if, I just, what if, what if my best friend just deleted me on, uh, off of Facebook? What if my parents just took away my phone? What if I just woke up and I'm just crabby and I don't know why? Okay, it doesn't matter what you feel. It doesn't matter what you want to do. You have to say, no, Lord, none of that matters right now. I'm going to submit myself to your will because your will be done in my life, not my own, Lord. And when you have that prayer, my friends, you can go through anything. You can go through anything. You can be made fun of. You can be mocked. You can, be, oh, you can go through all this different stuff. My friends, the disciples themselves were tortured. It, 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 you know, good news that the, the, the 11 disciples, they, they, they came around eventually after they deserted Jesus. They repented. They came back and they were following the Lord. But all of those 11 disciples, once they were living for Jesus and they were preaching the gospel and they were doing all these things for the kingdom of God, you know how they died? You know what they went through? They were hung up, they, they were crucified upside down, they were fed to lions, they were burned at the stake. In Hebrews, it has a whole chapter of what different believers went through in the early church. There's this one book called Francis' Book of Martyrs. I remember reading as a kid that book, and one, one, one I mean, just, just a few of the many different accounts of what these early church believers went through. The, one of them was thrown into a bag full of vipers. Just, just thrown into this bag, and the bag was closed, and they, 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 they died because the vipers just kept biting them and, and, and injecting the venom, right? They died in the bag with all these snakes around them. Uh, others, Christians, were fed to the lions, and the lions tore them limp. Guys, it's not just, oh, yeah, they, they were tossed to the lions, and that was it. And, you know, the, the, the lions just kind of, like, you know, lifted up their hand, and then they vaporized. No, the, the lions, right, they tore into their flesh took their arm, ripped it out, right? Guys, what do you think the believers were going through in that moment? It wasn't fun. It didn't feel good. But what got them through it was, Lord, it's not my will, God. I could lose this arm right now, but God, I don't care because it's about your will. One of the early church believers had his leg tied to a bull on top of a, a, a temple mount, had stairs, concrete stone stairs leading down, very steep. And these Romans, they, they, they slapped this bull in the butt. The bull ran like crazy, running down the steps. You know what happened to that person that was tied to the leg, to this bull? Their brains busted out because it was going on each step. What do you think that believer was thinking about as he was being tied to the bull, guys? What do you think he was thinking about? What do you think got him through that? My friends, there's believers. Guys, we sit here so secure, so safe. But guys, do we understand there's people that are dying for Christianity? They're being shot at. They're watching their wives being raped in front of them. Guys, this is happening. And what is able to get them through it all? It's because they say, God, it's not my will. It's not my will, Lord. It's your will. Your will be done. That's what gets them through it, and that's what got Jesus through it. If we can all stand.
I just want to mention, Jesus went through all of that pain and suffering. Guys, he knows what it's like to feel anguish. He knows what it's like to feel deserted. He knows what it's like when people forsake you, when people backstab you. He knows what it's like to feel all the pressure of the world upon you. He knows what it's like to be led to, to his death, to his crucifixion. He understands. And as a matter of fact, in Hebrews verse 12, Oscar, if you can put that scripture up, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to wait for it to come up. It's a good verse. You got it, Oscar? Hebrews 4. Did I say 12? Hebrews chapter 4. I'll read it here in, the, in my Bible here. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, says, We have a great high priest. He has gone up into heaven. His name is Jesus, the Son of God. So let us hold firmly to what we, ha- what we say we believe. We have a high priest who can feel, who can feel it when we are weak and, and hurting. We have a high priest who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Therefore, there we go, therefore, since we have such... Since we have a great high priest who ascended to heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Verses 15 and, and 16, Oscar. Let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. Jesus understands. He understands when it's hard. He understands what you go through. I know I was just giving some crazy examples of people being persecuted. It is happening, but God even understands it. When you wake up on the wrong side of bed, he, he gets it. He knows what it's like. He understands your pain. It says, for we do not have a high priest. We do not have a God who's unable to empathize with our weakness. He understands, but we have one who's been tempted in every way. Next verse. But we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we too may be able to receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Guys, if we want to transform our schools for the Lord, if we want to make any difference in our school, if we want to see this city changed, we have to get to a place where we say, God, not my will, but your will be done. We have to get to a place of radical obedience radical obedience where we say, Jesus, it's not even about what I'm going through right now. Lord, I don't care the little petty drama that's going on that my friend just blocked me on Facebook and now I can't message them. God, none of that matters. Lord, you matter. and Your will is more important than my own will right now, God. Right now as we speak in the news, I mean, of course in the news there's been hurricanes going on, there's been fires. Also, North Korea is talking about sending a missile starting World War III, who knows what's going to happen. But imagine if Christianity became illegal in America. We're not safe, guys. Our, day, our time will come. Christianity is made illegal in America. And if you're caught worshiping the Lord, if you're caught in a church, you're going to be beaten. Your, your parents are going to be uh, taken away. You're going to be attacked. They're going to, they're, they're going to abuse and, and sexually molest uh, your, your brothers and sisters in front of you, right? This is what happens in the other countries. This is what actually happens over there, right? What if this happens in America? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You, you sit here. You come to elevate. Well, what happens if somebody points a gun in your head and says, are you a Christian? Are you a follower of Christ? If they put a gun to your head, what are you going to say? What are you going to do? Are you going to get to a point in your heart where you say, you know what? You can point a gun at me. I don't care. 
because it's not about my will. It's not what about it's not about what I want. It's not what about it's not what about I feel. God, it's about your will in my life. Does anybody want to be like Jesus tonight? Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, I ask you right now, Lord, that you would help us to be like Jesus, Lord. Holy Spirit, come, Lord. Holy Spirit, come right now, Jesus. Let us, let us say the same thing that you did, Lord God. Oh, God, times get hard, Lord God, and we might go through hardships, God. We may lose loved ones, Lord God. We might see our best friend get shot. We might see our parents get shot, Lord. Who knows what might happen? But, God, we come before you, God. And we pray, God, and we say, Lord, it's not about what I feel, Lord. It's not what I want, Jesus. Your will be done in my life, Lord God. Just want to give the Holy Spirit a few more moments in this place. Just as you're standing there, just talk to the, talk to the Lord. Talk to Jesus. If you need to repent, if you need to just lay, lay your life down before him right now, before we come to the altars, just, just talk to God, you and him right now. Talk to the man that, that was in anguish at one point. Talk to the man who got beaten up for you. Talk to him. Tell him your situation. He understands. He knows what it's like. He's able to relate. Holy Spirit, come. Show the Baba Sika, the Baba Baba Soto, the Baba Sika, the Nigga, the Baba Soto. She had another Baba Soto, the Baba Sik, she had another Baba Soto, the Baba Sik, the Baba Soto. Show the Baba Sika, the Baba Sika, the Baba Soto, the Baba Sika, the Baba Soto, the Baba Sika, the Baba Sika, the Baba Soto, the Baba Sika, the Holy Spirit, fill this room with your presence, Lord God. Holy Spirit, come, God, fill this room with your presence, God. We worship Jesus, God. We exalt Jesus, Lord. You're worthy, Lord God. You're worthy of it all, Holy Spirit. You're worthy of it all, Jesus. We worship you. We lift you on high, Lord God. Everyone in this room, let's just sing that out. You're worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. Jesus tonight that he's worthy of everything. You are not my will, but your will be done, God. Not my will, not what I want, but what you want, Lord. For from you are all things, to you are all things. You deserve the glory. You deserve the glory, God. If there's anybody that deserves the glory, it's you, Jesus, because of what you went through. Because of what you went through, Jesus, you deserve the glory, Lord. like that message was for you if you want to be more just obedient to the Lord and you want to get you want you want that to be your heart cry if you say in your in your heart tonight man I want to be like Jesus I want to be like that just despite whatever happens in my life always saying Lord not my will but your will be done if that's you and you want to do the Lord's will and not care about your own will and what you feel I want to meet you at these altars tonight if that's you come up to these altars right now Let's just make a public declaration. 
Lord, it's not about what we want, Lord. It's not about our own will. It's about what you want, Lord God. Your will be done in our lives, Jesus. Come on, step out in faith tonight. Tell Jesus yourself, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Some of you guys need to do that in this place. You need to tell Jesus yourself, not my will, but your will be done. The different things in life that you struggle with, the different temptations that you have, put them at the altar right now and say, Jesus, it's about you. Your will be done, Lord, not my own. Your will be done, not my own, Lord. Thank you.